Mac Power Users, Episode 153, Hardware Workflows with Jeff Barrel. Hey, everybody. It's David Sparks, along with Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie. Aloha, David. <laughs> I had so much fun in Hawaii. That, that's the best place on Earth, I think. Uh, yeah, I've, n- I've never been. It's on my list, though. But, oh, you it's know, so awesome. Some it's people so say awesome. just oh, Hawaii is too much like Florida, so why? But Oh, yeah. no. People there are so nice. No, no, not Florida. It's, uh, it's you know, I, I was leaving, and I was looking at the guy who was, like, getting the towels at the pool, and I was thinking, wow, maybe I'll switch with him. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're here with Jeff Barrel. Hi, Jeff. Hi. And I don't know, the listeners may or may not know who Jeff is. Jeff is one of the guys behind the original Drobo and also behind the Transporter. And Jeff has been a friend of ours for some time. And uh, we've been talking about getting him on the show for a while. And and we set it up. And then um, after we set it up, then Jeff has gone back to Drobo, right? That's right. Yeah. And I... You know, I, I equate it to kind of like Steve Jobs returning to Apple. Jeff is going back to, <laughs> to make Drobo awesome, but that's just me. Uh, but, but you know, and then now Drobo's going to be coming on as a sponsor again in a little bit. But I just wanted to be upfront with everybody. That's not why we're having Jeff on. I mean, uh, Drobo's not currently a sponsor, and this was planned long before that happened. Uh, but But we always have these guys on our show to talk about the software and how they make software and what they do. And I've always been fascinated with the hardware process. You know, how do you make a product, a hardware electronics product, and get it to market? I And this really came to focus for me last year when I, I did a Kickstarter project for a watch. And you know, I, I was very excited about it, but I just kept getting these emails about all the problems they were having and how long it was taking them. And and by the time the watch arrived, I didn't even care anymore. <laughs> And and it occurred to me, and I don't think these guys were disingenuous when they did this project, but it was just so successful that I think they got in over their head. And and it occurred to me, how do you make a hardware product launch? How do you do that? It must be really hard. So I wanted to get somebody, and, and Jeff and I had been talking for some time. And so we, we've got you here to talk about it. But in addition to talking about how you launch a hardware product, Jeff is also a huge Mac nerd and has got some great software and uh, just workflow tips. I mean, I was looking at some of the stuff we were we're outlining, and this is going to be a really great episode. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Jeff, wh- why don't you start out by just telling people a little bit about what you do, and and then I guess we'll we'll branch into, um, you know, kind of a big picture overview of, of what are the kind of tools that you use to do it with, and, and we'll dig in deeper from there. All right. Um, uh, well, uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur in Silicon Valley terms. I've uh, founded uh, six different companies right now, and the last two are Drobo and Connected Data, who make the transporter. And Connected Data and Drobo have merged together, so in fact, I'm running running both of those companies now. Um, I started off uh, with a degree in cybernetics, uh, learned all about software and hardware, and I've been doing stuff in IT for the first maybe 10 years of my life. And then uh, in 98, I was approached to start a hardware company, uh, which was called BlueArc, which was an enterprise network attached storage company. That brought me to the US, to Silicon Valley. And here I've started Drobo and Connected Data. Um, And so now I'm very much in storage and hardware. Is it true that you're building Skynet? (laughs) Next, that'll be the next one. (laughs) 
And but it seems just in our in our conversations that you've been a Mac guy for a really long time. I mean, I know when when we met at MacWorld, and I don't think you're doing it just for the show. You had pretty much all Mac gear on you. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% Macintosh these days. I can tell you exactly how it started. Um, at Blue Arc, I I had to run a number of different things. I started off running engineering, then I came to the US and set up the office. But for the last two and a half years, I was there. I ran marketing. And I had this team of marketing guys. They all used Macintosh. And this would have been probably about 2002, 2003. And I've been a PC guy the whole of my life up until this point. And my head of Marcom, just constant every day, you need to switch to Mac. You should switch to a Macintosh. You should switch to a Mac. And this is this is about the time uh, Michael Dell said that you know Apple was in such a state they should maybe wrap it up and return the shareholders their money. Yeah. Um, so it, it didn't seem super compelling to make the switch. And then what happened was we had a board meeting, and I was going into the board meeting, and I had PowerPoint on, on the PC. And I'm not sure if you guys remember this era, but it used to be that. Some it would it would come up with a dialogue box that would say some component is missing. Please insert your original CD yes. and, and, and install yes. that. Yes. I, anybody who's used the PC version of uh, Office has probably seen that. And I had a drawer with three different versions of Office in it, and I'd, I'd put them in, and it would be like, no, this isn't the right disk. And I'd be like, it's there, I can see it, but it wouldn't yeah. install it. And so I was I was really upset. I couldn't adjust my PowerPoint. I the board presentation didn't go the way that I wanted. And so I came out and I said, uh, said to my head of Marcom, lend me that laptop because he had a laptop and a desktop. And I'm like, if I can do my work on it for two weeks, I'm in. So he gave it to me. And, and it was, you know, it was a steep learning curve at first for me. But because of the Unix space, and I'd done a little bit of Unix back at university, I sort of went straight to the command line, got in that way, and, um, and then just came to love it very quickly and, uh, and transitioned almost, you know, everything in my life over over the next couple of years. Well, I always tell people, if you're going to switch, it, it is going to take a month or two to get used to the way things work because it's not, you know, they don't ape each other. I mean, even just the minimize button being on the left side really throws people who have been using Windows forever. And I just say, give it those couple months and see how you do. And and one of the other things I always do is if if they're really unsure is I help them get, you know, parallels on or, you know, some kind of Windows install. And it's always fun to check back after six months to see how often they're running Windows. And except for people who need a specific Windows program for their work, almost universally, they don't run it at all. Yeah, that was the experience for me, definitely. I, I, I did use Parallels, and um, and I did have some uh, different programs running it. I think Quick, Quicken was probably the last thing that I was still running uh, that was PC-based. But managed oh. to transition everything else over in about a year, I guess. We get we get emails almost daily from people who want us to do a show on financial management software, and it's just so hard for me to get excited about it because I'm just not that excited about any of the software. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be great if there was a package that was as good as the old PC version of Quicken. Though I'm still not sure there's anything. Yeah, that one time I mentioned that I that I use Mint, and some of the CPA listeners of the show they wanted to you know, put, hang me up by my ankles at Macworld and throw darts at me. So <laughs> I, I don't think I should say that again. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Man. I like it. It's good. Yeah, me too. But, you know, it's just the idea of cloud-based financial management gets people pretty testy. Uh. So what kind of gear are you running, Jeff? Uh, I've got a lot of Macintoshes. Um, 
we have, uh, oh my goodness, uh, one, two, three, four, five, five Macs at home in day-to-day use. Um, it's, uh, I have a MacBook, and six, in fact. I have a, the Retina MacBook, which I use as my day-to-day workhorse. I have a... Is, uh, is that your primary machine, probably, or...? Yeah, that's my primary machine. That goes goes home and into work with me. I have an the, iMac at home. The, doesn't I, that Retina screen just like ruin you? It's it's great. Although you know, I spend most of my day using it plugged into the large uh, Apple display. Okay. So I like it up in the air because I, I have trouble with my back, and I like to try and sit up as straight as I can. So, uh, and I find when I open the laptop, I'm sort of hunched up on the desk. So I've got yeah. a display propped up on one of those little display stands that I use. I have a little 11-inch MacBook Air, um, which I use a lot when I'm traveling. Uh, then at home, I have an iMac. I, I like that. You you have a portable to take back and forth between the office <laughs> and then a portable that you take on travel. Okay. You know, you know, I can really understand that, though. Um, when I travel with the 15-inch MacBook Pro, it, it is a lot to carry. And for small trips where you're going to do a keynote presentation or something where you're going to need a Mac... You know, it's not a bad idea to have a really tiny one to bring with you. I find I'm on planes a lot. And on the plane, I can pop out the little 11-inch and use it. And it's yeah. very, very straightforward to use, no matter what class you're traveling on. So that's uh, that's easy. That, well, um, the big question there is if, if you can replace it with an iPad or not. And some people can and some people can't. I think it, it just really depends on exactly what you're doing. If you're just doing mail and stuff, you're probably fine with, a, with an iPad. But I, I suspect I, you, you – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Sorry. Well, I suspect you're running some uh, some more complicated software than that. That's probably not available on the the iPad. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I use I, I tend to use a lot of shortcut keys to jump around between applications. And when yeah. I'm using the iPad, I miss that. Uh, you know, I want to take a note, or switch to an outline, or switch back to mail, or move things around. And I just find it's a lot lot easier with a keyboard. Um, so I I tend to use the uh, the Mac, I, I switched to the iPad for a while when I was traveling, and then I ended up switching back to the 11-inch MacBook, and, and I do like it a lot better. Well, I just can't get over the screen because I'm so spoiled with that Retina screen. When oh, I yeah. look at the uh, 11-inch MacBook in the Apple Store, I just, I, I really do see a difference. I think it would really bug me. Well, when are they bringing out Retina displays and all the other ones? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's going to be a while before we get them on the Airs, but... Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well... <laughs> Part, part um, of me wonders if the air will exist, you know, in three or four years that, you know, the the what we now call the Retina MacBook Pro is only going to get a little, you know, I would imagine it gets thinner as battery technology gets better. And at some point, there's just the MacBook again. Yeah, they all converge. I think you're right. Yeah. And that'd be great. Yeah. I, I was noticing in the outline that you sent us that you've got a bunch of older Macs. I mean, I, I see that you're running a, an old G5 and... An old iMac, and is that primarily so you can have legacy OSs for for testing purposes, or is that is that because you're still getting useful life out of these machines? <laughs> so, so the old G5, I um, it's the it's the original sort of silver tower. I mean, is that just because you don't have good heat in your building and you're? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's noisy. So, um, so I got it and the twenty three inch cinema display, the one with the big plastic bezel around it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, way back when they came out and it was i can't remember how much i paid for them but it was like three and a half grand or something like it was uh it was big money and and i've never really been able to bring myself to throw it away and so now 
to nerd out. I, I've set them up and I've set it up in my office. It wakes up in the morning at nine and it switches itself off at um, six in the evening. And it shows a status board for the company. So it has oh, all sorts of yeah. statistics to do with the business. Uh, and so that that's all it does anymore. I just can't bring myself to throw it out. I also have, a, in the office, I have an old, old uh, iMac, one of the original ones, uh, the original Intel ones. And I have a small old Mac Mini at home, and I keep uh, 10.6 and 10.7 on both of those. And I use that for uh, testing software and uh, and compatibility testing on those platforms. Now, I have to imagine, as CEO of Drobo, that there is a shelf in your house that has a, a bunch of little black boxes on it. <laughs> yeah, they are. I think I gave away all of my original four bay Drobos. Yeah. Um, so I think they're all gone now. But I have a Drobo Pro and a Drobo S in day to day work at home, and now a Drobo 5N, the NAS product as well. So the this, three this Drobos are actually in, in full time work at the house. So you aren't going to remember this. The, the first year you guys showed up at Macworld, it was a big splash. And and I, I think I talked to you. Were you at the booth that year? Yeah, I would have been. Yeah, I think I talked to you. And, and I said, I'm in, except you guys, it's too loud. I want something right. softer. And and you said, just be patient. And, and I did. I waited for the second generation. I have the one with the bigger fan. That thing still runs like a gym. Still using it. Yeah, yeah. The, the fans have got progressively larger and quieter, I think, in each generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is important. So what do you do with all the storage? I have uh, about seven terabytes of media at time. So that takes up a large part of the storage that I have. So you and Katie get along great. Katie's a, a big digital pack rat too, aren't you, Katie? Well, but I, I, I think I've got about two and a half terabytes. Yeah. I, it's I not bad. Have, I don't have seven. I mean, I've got enough that I've got it all on my Drobo, and then I've got my Drobo packing up to a three terabyte drive. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little on the extreme edge. Give her a few years. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. I find the more space I've got, the more things I find to fill it up with. It, that yeah. happens, doesn't it? It's kind of like when you, when you buy a bigger house. Yeah, you totally. Just, you fill up the rooms. So. That's exactly the same. And and so how do you how do you use all these Macs um and and all of their accessories in in the development and in in your day-to-day work? I mean because I know some of what you do is is creating hardware, but then you're also on big on the software components. So are you just in Xcode all day long or are you actually kind of creating models and 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 mock-ups or or interacting with designers and and doing those things, what what kind of work are you are you doing on these machines? Uh, lots lots of different things. Um, I tend to uh, jump between the the different areas of the business, so I'm using different tools when I'm working with different folks. We use um, a series of uh, online tools to deal with all the operational part of the business, where we're interacting with different folks, and we use regular office tools for dealing with the finance folks, so Excel and so forth. For dealing with the creative guys, it's a variety of different different tools that they'll use to provide uh, information. And But typically everything will get boiled up into PDFs, which we'll review stuff on. Um, a lot of it's physical still, uh, models and, um, and pictures. The designers you work with will always want to present everything in the best light. And sometimes they'll feel that the computer screen just isn't the right medium or a projector isn't the right medium to look at something. 
so uh, so you'll have physical you know printouts and uh, and models to work with um so there's a lot of different elements uh that i that I'm sort of working with in a, in day to day as we sort of work through the process of making hardware and sometimes you know it's a, it, you know it's a really exciting show and tell with your mechanical parts or new mechanisms or new materials to look at so that's all a lot of fun one one of the funny stories you were telling us earlier is about when you're doing the first drobo and you were adjusting the springs for the ejection <laughs> yeah there's um uh there's always something as you're bringing a new product to market something will surprise you with uh, drobo i'd say the two the two things that went really late in the day was the name uh for the for the product and the mechanics around the drive so to that point everybody else had done a uh, a carrier based approach where you screw a drive into the carrier and you insert the carrier into the unit and in fact I, th- I think actually probably still everybody else does that i don't think anybody else has a has an approach like drobo with drobo what we wanted because we were aiming at people you know who d- we didn't necessarily want people to have to use screwdrivers to use the product we wanted you literally just to be able to feed a bare metal hard drive straight in the front of the product just push it straight in which hadn't been done before and so we had to have some way of latching it in, but then also having it eject out again, uh, like a VCR tape or something like that. So we had springs and a mechanism to do the drive ejection, and getting that right was really hard because it just nobody had done it before, so nothing was calibrated. So even you know two weeks before the um, you know the original driver went to manufacture we had these units where when you press the eject trigger one of two things was going to happen either it was going to come flying out and cl- you know clobber you in the stomach or it was going to sit in the slot and you'd have to wiggle at it with a screwdriver to get it to pop out uh, fortunately my head of engineering was a was a whiz with uh, me- mechanics and hardware and you know he managed to get it all resolved but uh, <laughs> but we still got some of those old units here at the office I was, I was laughing the other day and they still shoot the drives across the office See, I, could see I, like I think a- that's a feature I think you should <laughs> consider implementing that in your next product line or maybe a theft deterrent feature or something I, I could see like having, you know, like a betting pool in the office, you know, <laughs> you pick a drive and like a racehorse and you shoot it out and see how far it goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, people would be cheating that have, you know, drives with lower numbers of platters or more streamlined. <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in an engineering shop, they probably would. Yeah, uh, they I, would. I, I definitely want to walk through the hardware, you know, the hardware business a bit. But before we do that, let's talk about our first sponsor. Yeah, and our first sponsor for this episode is going to be the fine folks over at 1Password. And if you've been watching the blogs recently, you'll notice that we got a little bit of a sneak peek at 1Password version 4. And it is coming out real soon. We don't quite have a release date yet. Uh, We got version 4 for iOS a couple of months ago, actually late last year. And version 4 for the Mac is coming out very soon. And what we know about it and what we can share about it is that it's going to share some, it's going to bring some of your favorite features of iOS over to the Mac. Um, And it's going to bring a whole lot more. So uh, if you want to see a sneaky peek at 1Password version 4 for Mac, uh, go over to the Agile Bits website and check out their blog. And you'll see some of the interesting things that they're working on, including a a new streamlined tweaked user interface, as well as the ability to share out your passwords between devices, 
um, uh, well as iCloud syncing between devices and a whole lot of other cool stuff that we really aren't at liberty to talk about. But one of the things that I did want to talk about with 1Password and I've gotten some emails from folks saying, you know, you haven't talked about this in a while, and this is one of their best features, is we talk about the ability of 1Password to, you know, one of the beauties of it is you've got access to your passwords just about anywhere. You know, they've got a Mac app, they've got a Windows app, um, they've got an iPhone app, they've got Android apps. And I talk about in a couple episodes ago how I've got this little nifty keychain uh, thumb drive that I keep my 1Password keychain on. And well, people were saying, well, what good is that going to do you if you're somewhere and and you need to get a password and you're you know you're in trouble? What what are you going to do with that? And that's where One Password Anywhere comes in, because the folks at One Password are so smart that they've actually built in a web interface into that One Password keychain. And I'm not going to even try to explain the technicalities of it because I'll screw it up. But it is a secure web interface where if you've got that One Password keychain. You can log into it using a web browser, unencrypt it using your password, go in, view your password. So if you need a password to a specific site, pull that out. And then when you close it up, it's all locked back up again and everything stays in that keychain. So you are really not without your passwords anywhere. As long as you've got that keychain file and access to a web browser, you can access your 1Password documents. And if you don't want to keep the keychain on your keychain, like I actually do, you've got access to it in Dropbox if you keep it thrown up in Dropbox or wherever else it may be. So uh, don't be worried about throwing all of your passwords, all of your information in 1Password. They've got it locked down for you, and you've got access to it. There are lots of options. So check them out. You can find more information over at onepassword.com and check out their sneaky peek because there are great things to come. And uh, thanks, 1Password, for your continued support of Mac Power users. Okay, Greg. <laughs> okay, Jeff, now's the time. All right. <laughs> so how do you get into the business of developing hardware? I mean, how, where do you even start? Like a lot of listeners of the show, you know, we've all read the Steve Jobs book. And my that's my only context for this. Like I understand when they were making the first Mac, how much trouble they went through trying to come up with the original, you know, was, I guess you call it the toaster design, but you know, where do you start with this stuff? <laughs> that's a good, that's a great question. Well, it starts like anything, I suppose, with a, with a problem that you're trying to solve for people. Uh, so you need to, you need to have something that makes a difference with, um, with Drobo, we really wanted to make safe, expandable storage, just really simple for people. And uh, with Transporter, what we wanted to do was just have it, you know, make sharing collaboration on uh, data very, very straightforward. So you start with that concept and, and everything sort of flows from there, really. You need to think about how people are going to use it. Um, and, and that drives a lot of how it's going to be designed. So as I was so saying... It, is, is it the design people at the beginning or is it, I guess... The, or is it bigger picture kind of theory people at the beginning? It starts if you've got if you've got the right designers. Oftentimes, it starts with and we worked. We definitely, definitely at Drobo early on. We worked with uh, with a number of different firms, and you could pretty quickly tell the ones that had an eye for how things would get used versus those that wouldn't. The ones that um, that that were thinking more from a design as more of an art, I suppose, came up with designs which were visually appealing, but not necessarily very functional. 
Um, whereas the best designers, the folks that we've really worked with again and again over the years, they sort of start with the function, how it's going to get used, where it's going to be situated, the kind of environment it's going to be in, and then, you know, work from there. And there's no reason why you know a, a very functional design can't be a great looking design too, but you really need to start with with how the thing's going to get used. You know how accessible does it need to be with the Drobo, for example? How easy does the does the drive insertion need to be? How often is that going to happen? How stable does the product need to be? So there's a lot of different different factors that need to drive the design. You've probably used products in the past where when you're trying to put something in, the product's sliding around on the table or isn't particularly stable or you're trying to get a connector and something snaps off. These kinds of things need to be thought about really early on in the design stage. So, and, you know, and that always makes me crazy when I have something and it's like so obvious that this should have been done differently, but it just wasn't. And is that because they didn't design it, I guess, at the beginning, right? I, so at what point do they get to where they can't fix those problems if they discover them? The larger the company is, I think, oftentimes the harder it is. So with with any product design, sometimes you'll get a long way into it and it will take somebody very senior to say, this is wrong and we need to start over again. With the Again, with the mechanisms on the Drobo, it literally, you know, two maybe two months before the product was due to be completed, I could just they just didn't seem right, and we had to stop and go back to the drawing board really on the whole thing. And in a, in a larger company, it's very hard for that to happen. There's yeah. there's usually you know people are running to deadlines, people are responsible to upper management, uh, you know their jobs on the line, and so it's extremely difficult to nix something that's just not right. And But at a smaller company uh, like ours, you absolutely can do that, and you've absolutely got to do that. Um, we had a, a difficult discussion just today, um, my head of engineering and I, about a software feature that just it isn't, it, isn't, it isn't quite right. And, you know, even though we've put a lot of work into it, I think we're not going to ship it, principally because it's just slightly wrong, and it will lead to a negative user experience. Leaving it out will actually make a better product. Well, that's got to be a hard call. It's super hard, especially when people have worked hard on something or when uh, timeframes are, are tight and you, you may have to push things out in order to make the product better. But it's it's always the right call in retrospect. I don't think this ever happened historically and we've looked back on it and thought it was a mistake. And I know, Katie, you may remember, was it the Walter Isaacson biography where they were talking about when they were releasing the original iPod? And uh, and Steve Jobs was unhappy because it didn't click when they put the uh, cord in for the headphones. Have you heard the story? I think so. Yeah, this sounds familiar. I don't remember if it was in the book or somewhere else. But uh, apparently, like right before they released it, he was unhappy with that. And it was a very expensive thing to change just the little jack for the headphone. But yeah. that was a big deal. Yeah. And, and, and it, 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 it's a hard call to try and determine what's important and what isn't important. Um, with the transporter, there's a, a Wi-Fi dongle that plugs in the back, and we had to change the dongle at the last minute, and the new dongle stuck out from the back of the transporter. And so we ended up making a rubber grommet that fit around it and made it look nice and fit flush. But at the point that decision was made, you know, several of our operations people weren't best pleased <laughs> 
<laughs> with yeah. the, the last minute change. But but it, it, it does make a difference for folks, I think. If you're designing something that looks nice and you want people to put it out, then you need to make sure that it's as aesthetically pleasing as it can be. And so, if you've got, so, I'm sorry. And Go if you've got ahead, something man. functionally wrong, um, oftentimes with with a sort of engineering mindset, it's easy to think that more features make something better, even if the feature is you know slightly less functional or uh, or not polished. But I think from a user experience standpoint, one bad feature generally detracts much more than the absence of it. Yeah. So when so when you get started, you're starting to think about design and, and engineering. Uh, your products generally have software components too. At what point does the software start getting involved? Yeah, well, the software always bleeds life into it, and and the software starts starts always at or, or before the hardware. Okay. And so you you have uh, you have various ways of uh, of emulating it. With Drobo, we had uh, development boards that we got from the uh, hardware, the chip vendors who were making the processors we used. And so we built up from those. And our early prototype systems, we uh, we got uh, a four-bay, just a, a sort of dumb four-bay chassis off the shelf from Fry's. And we had those plugged into a PC board for a while. And then we had a hardware board from the chip vendor that was plugged in and sort of pushed into the same box with the back hanging off. And those were the sort of development systems we started with. Well, you know, when with, I think about it, that's obvious. I mean, why why would you start designing hardware until you know how the software is going to work on it? Yeah, you do, because there are things you just don't know. Um, so with software, you have, I, I guess, unless you're really pushing the limits, like maybe game design, uh, you know, or, you know, high-resolution graphics. Um, with software, generally, the computers that you're designing it for can fit it. With with when you're designing firmware for a, for a hardware product, it's super hard to know how much memory you'll need, you know, what kind of performance you need in the processor, the buses, and so forth, until you're until you're a long way into the design cycle. So the problem you get is that if you just use emulators and you don't use real hardware, you get a false sense for how the software is going to work in practice, and it's very very hard to change board layout or circuit design. Uh, when you've when you're a long way down the road, so what you need to do is get the software onto the real hardware as quickly as you can. The other thing that that's often a surprise is um, processor. If you're on the sort of cutting edge of embedded processor technology, what you tend to find is as they come to market, they get defeatured. So you'll you'll get involved with a processor expecting it to have a, an XOR engine for RAID work or a, an encryption engine for transmission. And then suddenly it won't have it anymore, and so you'll have to uh, you'll have to figure out whether that's something you can do in software or whether you need to make a serious hardware change. So you're sort of balancing a, a fairly changing environment with hardware, where it's it's very difficult to make last minute changes. It's, see, that still just sounds daunting to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, and then there's a whole other piece of it. You've got to get sources once you pick the materials, and you've got to have somebody manufactured for you. I, the, I don't know how you guys do it. The most annoying thing that will happen is you'll make a product, uh, you'll have a bill of materials, you'll make a product, and you'll pick some innocuous components, you know, a little bit of flash memory or a particular type of capacitor that seems like a, like a trivial choice. And then you'll just become in the market, and then Apple will use that component in one of their products, and suddenly you can't buy them anymore. 
Yeah. And uh, that happened to us. Tw- it's, 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 as rare as that might sound, that's happened to us twice already. And suddenly, you can't you can't ship a product because you're missing a you know point zero zero three cent capacitor that uh, that's only available from a particular source. Yeah. So wow. uh, so those things you know will come out of left field, and then you'll have to make a design change. So at what point and- in the pro- process do you get those foam models where you get to see all the different models like brought to life and start fiddling with them? So that's I think the mo- that'd be the part I'd like to do, and then just throw the rest, leave the rest to somebody else. That's that's an enormous <laughs> amount of fun um, with uh, with a very new design where you're not iterating much. Oftentimes you'll make a whole bunch of those. You know, all yeah. sorts of different shapes and, you know, there'll be pretty wacky designs. With something like the Drobo where you're iterating, you're iterating, you know, rather than coming up with something completely new, oftentimes you'll only have, you know, one or two and you'll have gone through a review of designs on paper and, you know, drawings before you get to that. But we, uh, just in the last uh, three weeks, we've been through two different rounds of modeling on two different products and it's an enormous amount of fun because you get the you get the sort of sense for the heft of it, how it'll look, how things will be when you're you know grabbing them, like moving faceplates or you know twisting a base on something. So yeah, it's it's an enormous amount of fun. And some of the guys we work with, you know, will go to a extraordinary lengths, you know, creating st- decals to stick on to make it look more realistic, or feet stuck on the bottom and and other things. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, and bringing this back around a little bit to kind of your your Mac workflows, what are what kind of software tools are you using throughout this process to to help you kind of manage this stuff? I mean, do you do you do you brainstorm this? Do you mind map it? Are you outlining? I mean, what are you what are you just whiteboarding or what are you using, if anything, on the Mac at this point to keep track of all this? Or do you use it the Mac more for kind of administrative stuff or? Well, I use I personally use use a whole bunch of tools. Um, I use you know I use some tools for the sort of DTT end of my workflow. For the creative end of my workflow, um, I've been using uh, Scapel a bit recently. I'm not sure if you guys have tried that one. I, I don't even know what one, it is. That's the one from the guys who do um, Scrivener, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. uh, I'd been trying. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. So for years, I've been trying to use mind maps and, you know, I listen to a show with Merlin Mann on it or uh, or one of your shows and, you know, people will be talking about mind mapping and I've tried it loads of times. But for some reason, the idea of starting with a single object and only being able to build out from it just doesn't work for me. And so I'll always get really frustrated with mind mapping software really quickly because you've got this 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 approach where everything needs to link to the thing before. Yeah, And so they brought out Scapel for people just like me, I think, because it's just like a mind map, uh, but it's completely freeform. So if you want a group of objects in the, you know, up, up one end and a different group of objects up the other end, and then you want to cross-link them in, in whatever way you do, then it's, it's just great with that. So it's, uh, it's early. Uh, you can see that they're going to they're be improving it. But already for me, it's become the default way that I take stuff off of my white. So the whiteboard in my office is covered with charts and diagrams and graphs and margin diagrams. And it's just, yeah, if you guys could see it right here, it's, um, it's got a, a real mixture of stuff on it. And what oh, I well, tend go ahead, to do, take a picture. We'll put it in the show notes. No, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> the margin structure might be a little bit. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. The, um, and so what I do is when that gets full, I dump that into a scalpel document. 
And then I have the Scapel documents pinned up next to the whiteboard so that I can go back and refer to them. So that's the way I've been capturing that. And then I'll put those in my transport folder so they're on all my devices and so I have access to them when I'm meeting with folks. So that's uh, that's something I found uh, to be super useful uh, from a sort of brainstorming end of things as opposed to sort of GTD process-driven. The other it, software... It sounds we- like the creative part is very physical for you. Very tactile, I would imagine, if that's a better word, perhaps. If you if you're building if you're building product, definitely yes. Um, with Scapple and the stuff that's going on on my whiteboard, oftentimes it's um, so so. There's a lot of different creative elements in running a business. One is uh, you know the products themselves, but there's a lot of creativity in 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 almost every end of the business. In you know making your operations flows uh, more streamlined, in the way you market to people, um, in the way that you present products, and the way you can maybe combine two products to make something new. Um, so there's an enormous amount of creativity that you can you can find in in almost every aspect of the business, really, not just in engineering. And so oftentimes the stuff that's ending up in Scapple for me is more that kind of thing. Um, it's different ways that we can, you know, experiment or improve the business to be better. It's really a nice app and it, you're right. It's different from a traditional mind mapper because it's, it's, you know, Keith is just so smart anyway. Keith Blunt, the guy over at, at Literature and Latte, but it works hand in hand or hand in glove with, with Scrivener. So you can literally drag a scalpel into Scrivener and it'll add that to your Scrivener project. But it is, I think, more freeform. I, I'm going to have to play with this. I, I when it came out, I kept confusing it with that great Charlie Parker song, "Scrapple" from the Apple. You know, <laughs> so I, I wrote about it and used the wrong name. And but for some reason, I just I need to spend some time. I can. You've got me interested in this app now, Jeff. I, I highly recommend. Like I said, it's it's early. You can see it's early, and I think they're pretty upfront about that. But yeah. uh, but it's got an enormous amount of promise, and it's it's the mind mapping tool I always wanted. So I'll, I'll do anything I can to support it. I suggest everybody goes out and gets a copy because I'd love now, to see further generations. Now, are you going to be? Do you also like take pictures of your whiteboards and try and document all that stuff? Or no, I don't really. Um, I generally translate it into something else. It's yeah, okay. uh, it's such a chaotic mess without without order. Uh, it wouldn't be good when I came back and looked at it in the future, I don't think. And and I've never had a lot of luck trying to archive images and and come back and look at them. I know uh, Katie is a is a big Evernote user, and I know it mm-hmm. has a lot of um, you know image to text processing, but I've uh, I've not really experimented with that yet. So, well, I know that there's a lot of software because you wear so many hats. I know there's a lot of software <laughs> you use to kind of keep everything in motion, and I want to talk about some of that stuff next. But but first, I'd like to talk about our second sponsor, which is Squarespace, and uh, Squarespace is the premier web hosting and website creation tool. I, I use it for MaxSparky.com. Katie uses it for KatieFloyd.me, and uh, we've both been using it long before they were sponsors of the show because it's just so great. One of the things I really like about Squarespace is the support. It's 24-7, and there's always somebody on for chat during the week. And after hours and even during hours, they have really great email support. And when I first started using it, I thought, well, you know, the Internet makes me nervous, and I'd like to be able to talk to a warm body if I have a problem. But I've never had a problem because Squarespace, when when I do email something and I get an email back from them, 
so very quickly. And we just got an email from a listener recently who was talking about Squarespace. And uh, he was saying that he had a problem and somebody at Squarespace made him a little screencast and, and emailed it to him so he could see exactly what he needed to do to fix his site. Uh, and you really got to appreciate that kind of support. It's a, it's a design focus uh, website building. You know, they've got some really great templates that are made by professional designers. Um, uh, but you don't have to stop there. Once you pick a, a template, you can go in and start adjusting the typography and the margins, and you can make it look just the way you want to. And the nice thing about that is your site, you can't peg somebody's site as a Squarespace site. You know, there's certain services out there. You look at it and you know immediately what service they're using because the the templates are so locked down. That's not true in Squarespace. I mean, you can adjust a margin just by clicking and dragging, which is great. You know, like people who don't know anything about the web can do that, including me. Um, you can connect accounts like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google. They keep adding more social services. So you just have to type in the link and where you want it, and it just shows up on your website. It's got a responsive design, which means that not only do you look great on a Mac, you also look great on an iPad and an iPhone. And in fact, I had somebody asking me recently, uh, you know, what, what is the WordPress plugin you use to make your website look so good on the iPhone? I said, I don't have a WordPress plugin. I do it on Squarespace <laughs> and now they've got commerce. So you're really set with that as well. If you want to get in and start selling products, you can. So go check out Squarespace. Um, we've got a whole bunch of sites being submitted by listeners and we're going to start putting those in ad spots, but we haven't Katie, cause I was on vacation. Katie and I haven't picked one for today. I've, so I'm I've so actually got them. Oh, you do? I've got okay. them. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Could... So so the one that I wanted to, to ping today, and we've got a whole list of them. So if you want to send them, send yours in. But we got a lot of Mac Power users listeners saying, I learned about Squarespace from you and I built my site. So we got one from Mark that says, hey, I sent you mine a while ago. And I said, yeah, Mark, but I didn't have a list a while ago. I'm sorry. So here's Mark's site. It's uh, markav.com, M-A-R-K-A-V-E-Y.com. And I don't think I've, I can't peg this as a Squarespace site other than the fact that it is um, clean and and sophisticated looking because I don't really kind of recognize this template. But what I like about it is that when I grab the window and resize it, big, small, whatever, it just dynamically moves and rearranges and his content looks good, no matter whether my window is big and it's filling my whole 24-inch display or whether it's small and it's just a little corner of the display. So cool. I like, well, I like whatever he's using. I like it. So Squarespace, if you buy it a year in year block, you get 20% off the cost. So uh, if you want to get a an unlimited account, which is really the way to go, because nobody, you know, if you ever get linked, you're not going to have any problem with bandwidth. You can have un users and access. There's a whole bunch of great details with the unlimited account. It's 16 bucks a month if you buy it in a year block. And in addition, they give you a domain. So like my daughter's now a thriving entrepreneur herself has a website, has her domain, everything bought with a one-year Squarespace account. Uh, if you want to go a little smaller, uh, you can go with a a um, the the limited account, which is ten dollars, but it's drops down to eight dollars if you buy it a in a year in advance. I got that right, right, Katie? Close enough. Okay, and now if you add to this, you say you put in the magic code from the Mac Power users to get your discount you're going to get an additional 10% off. And I've always been unhappy with our, our 
codes with with a with a Squarespace because it's always been MPU seven, MPU eight, blah blah blah. And you know our friends that are podcasting are getting much better codes. Well, thankfully now Squarespace does, and they had a suggestion for the very first code from the Mac Power users. What I, is it, Katie? I think they must listen to um, the podcast when I'm not here because maybe when you've had that guest sit in. Yeah, that must be it. That must be this, it. This was their idea. Yeah, because the coupon code that they want to use is um, <clears throat> Katie is angry. No, <laughs> no spaces. All one word. Katie is angry. <laughs> Katie is angry. So get an additional 10% off. It's, it's hard to find that, the way they put that in the code. But uh, promotional code, click that button, you get another 10% off. We look like heroes. You, you save some bucks. Go check it out. Squarespace is the way to go. And uh, thanks, Squarespace, for uh, sponsoring the show and and for your great sense of humor. I'm not angry. Katie's the nicest person I know. She's so sweet. Unless she gets angry. Unless I get angry. Okay, so Jeff, I I just can't imagine a day in your office. I mean, you must have people running in saying, you know, we need better springs. It's not pushing out far enough. Or, Or they're saying we need to do marketing. We need to do software design. So you've got all these different things in the air. How on earth do you manage all that stuff? Yeah, it, it, context tends to change quite a bit during the day. Um, and I've got a, a sequence of different things that I use, and I, and I tend to vary between them as well. Um, but actually, just before we get onto it, there was one other product on the creative side of things that I just wanted to, to mention, if that's oh, yeah. okay. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Sorry, there's, it's a product we've been using for seven or eight years now and it's a huge part of our workflow and it's not one that i think very many people know about so it'd be great to give them a mention uh but it's a product called balsamic uh spelled b-l-a-s-a-m-i-q and it's a prototyping uh software for prototyping user interface and it's you, you can obviously do that in the uh, .NET tools for windows or in the xcode tools but the problem is then you end up with designs that are very Mac-centric or very Windows-centric. Yeah. And in the early stages, it's much better if you have something a little bit more generic-looking. And I think the genius in Balsamic is that everything looks like you drew it you know, with a pencil or a whiteboard pen. So everything's kind of rough around the edges and looks like you sketched it up on a piece of paper. And because of that, you get this kind of approximate feel, which works just great across platforms. And so we've been using that tool for all of the design work at, uh, at Drobo and at uh, Connected Data. Uh, like I say, right through since 2005, I think we started using them. And, and it's just in every single PRD that we put together for a new product. So it's, if people haven't seen it, it's definitely something I'd recommend. Yeah, that, yeah I've never seen that before. Rapid wireframing tool, B-A-L-S-A-M-I-Q. All right, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's great. Please support. And this works for Mac. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's a Mac, Windows, or Linux. Um, and you can move the designs around between them. So it works for every... Here at the company, we've got a... a basically, the, the people who work here generally get to use whatever workstation they want. So we have a, a pretty even mix of, uh, of Mac and Windows, and in fact, some Linux. And so having these tools that you can use cross-platform is really great for us. Excellent. All right. So, so what do you do to manage the business part of your, your business and, or, or just the, the managing you, because there's one of you 
and probably 20 different people who who want your time and attention at any given time and and how do you how do you manage everything that you're supposed to be doing Right. Well, uh, you know, they, I don't know what I did before, uh, before I discovered Merlin's site years ago um, and learned about getting things done. Yeah. Bef- before that, I can't remember what I did. Like, it, it must have been horrible. But, uh, but since then, I've, 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 been a, I've been using the GTD methodology, I think, pretty much exclusively. What I do find, though, and, and I'm not sure if I've heard anybody else on your show mention this, um, and it, maybe I'll sound a little crazy, but what I do find is if I use the same system for 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 an extended period of time, I, I stop using it. So I find I have to vary the system, uh, maybe once every six months, and then it really? keeps it keeps it wow. fresh. And I, I that, guess that makes sense. You just kind of get complacent with it, and I just find I get I get to a point where I'm not paying attention to it anymore. So uh, I'll start off with OmniFocus, and it'll be great, and I'll keep it up to date, and I'll be checking it every day, and I'll be doing my weekly review. And then at some point, it'll just I, I just won't. And then what I find is when I get to that point, if I switch to a to using a same methodology but a different tool, yeah. then I find it keeps it fresh, and I start using it again on a day to day basis. And so I rotate between uh, really three different tools. I uh, I use OmniFocus. I'm just starting back onto it again, so I've just okay. moved everything back into it, and I'm checking it. Um, yeah. I use Task Paper, which okay, I enjoy as an alternative. Yeah. Yep, it's great, and I can I can use that just as well as I can use OmniFocus. And then the last uh, tool I used um, before coming back to OmniFocus again was actually a completely physical system, uh, the Staples Arc system. If you guys are familiar with that. You know, is that, is that, like, is that like a day planner or a day runner type thing? Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, those are name brands, but I, I'm i familiar with the, the whole planner. Yeah. So I'm a huge nerd for stationery. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not sure, okay. I'm not sure if that's a thing. No, <laughs> no it's, it's definitely a thing. <laughs> but, um, but I read about it on the internet and I went out and got it. I've got it right here sitting on my knee. And basically what they... I think, I think the breakthrough in it, what they realized was that... Um, those ring binders where you have to sort of snap them apart and snap them back together again, you know, there's just not a great experience. Yeah, then so you have ca- to copy everything over every day. and Right. So they came yeah. up with a, uh, like a circular uh, – it's a set of circular circles, um, and the circles push into the paper and the binder cover. And so bind everything together, but you can pull anything out just literally by pulling on it. So if you pull the paper sideways, it's it's solid. It won't come out at all. But if you lift the paper up, it just pops straight out as if it wasn't bound in there at all. And so because of that, it's super easy to move paper backwards and forwards and between different sections. And so I found it was really great. I really enjoyed using it. It was an enormous amount of fun. So I could move tasks. I could put tasks on sheets of paper and move them forward and backwards in the Yeah, uh, in and the I'm, looking at the pic- I'm looking at the picture while you describe it. and. That was always the problem. I used to use a Franklin planner for years. I mean, I I think I finally threw them out, but I had like shelves of this paper and I would go in the morning and make my list. And then the next day I would end up writing some of those things down again. And right. it just got completely <laughs> nuts. And that's one of the big reasons I went digital on this stuff to begin with. But with the ARC system, you can physically pull the pieces of paper with the tasks on it out and move it to a different one without rewriting them. It's totally. Clever. So yeah. it's it's got it's got some of that same appeal that software has, and that you can just move things around, reorganize really simply. 
And so I was using that for pro- probably the best part of the last year, I guess, and uh, and enjoying the heck out of it. But uh, when the merger happened and we got back to a uh, you know, much larger organization, I just found that I needed to get back to a software uh, a software system. So I've, as I said, I've moved back on OmniFocus now, and I'm, uh, I'm enjoying using that again. I uh, I did try OmniFocus 2, but it just um, it's just not complete yet. So I've moved back to OmniFocus 1 again. Yeah, it's tough. It's still in beta, so you got to give it yeah, some time. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sure if you call it beta, it. yeah, I mean they're still working on it. But the um, it, this is an interesting system. But I I can't imagine switching back and forth between systems because I just have so many different things I'm tracking at once. It would be like a day long project just transferring <laughs> over. But it's a way of it's a, it's a, it's the it's the ultimate review. It's the ultimate way to make sure that everything That's you have true. is important and you get every last little thing flushed out that you uh, yeah. you don't need to carry with you. But but I get it. I, I think um, uh, in a lot of ways I'm still, for example, listening to the show, I know that uh, that you scan everything, and, you know, your receipts, your bills, and you have uh, Hazel mechanisms for organizing those things. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of always aspired to it, but I still do the vast majority of my home filing um in in a physical paper system i use a, a thing that uh i'm not sure if your listeners will know about called freedom filer no what is that uh it's uh i can't remember where i discovered it it was uh it was probably on a productivity site years ago but it's uh it's a lot like the the hanging file system that david allen talks about in gtd but yeah. all done for you <laughs> like they they already did the hard work. They made all the labels. They made all the hanging files. You have ten years worth of um of monthly organization. You know, you have all the and it's color coded. So you have for your monthly receipts, you have these year folders. Um so you have an odd year and an even year set. And so you fill in the you know, the odd or even year is appropriate and you move the previous year to the back of the tray so that uh, you still have last year's for reference or while you're filling in the last few months as things come in. And then when you're when you're moving out a year, you move it into a larger binder that keeps that year. And then it also has orange and red folders, which are for uh, permanent things and things that don't fit in a monthly folder, but that you would move out as new things come in. So, for example, on the orange thing, you might have your auto insurance as a category. And so when you've got new auto insurance, you take the old one out and you put it in. And then for the red folders, um, it's stuff that's permanent, like uh, your birth certificate or passport or things like that. So I just lo- love the fact it was uh, it was pre-built. I could just install it. And I've been using that solid now for probably about four, four or five years. And it's been great. You know, I'm just so manic, Jeff. I, I couldn't do that. I it just, I, when I have a piece of paper more than like a couple hours, I start getting kind of fidgety and I've got a scan snap at my office and at home and I have, you know, scanner pro or whatever the latest and greatest scanner app is on my iPhone. I, I cannot keep a piece of paper more than a couple of hours without, you know, wanting it made digital to me. I don't even own it until there's a digital version of it. I think the demarcation for me is when it's something that I feel I might need to, to access at any time, um, then, I, then I make a digital copy and I keep it on my transporter. So I have things, all sorts of things on there, including scans of my passport and birth certificate and so forth, um, readily accessible wherever I am digitally. But with stuff like receipts uh, that I just don't ever imagine I'll ever come back to again, I just find filing the paper version is just... Um, 
it's just easier than having to worry about a digital copy. But you know, the problem with that is receipts aren't printed. The, the ink they use on receipts anymore won't last as long as the warranty does on the product. <laughs> nah, just, you're totally right. This is you a know, constant just, problem. David, we, we had a, David, David's trying to save you. Yeah. Test this with our with our guest. No, no, no. Let me explain to you. No, you know, you must put is... a passcode lock on your phone. You must. No, I'm just I, I just um. It's funny you say that, Kitty, because I just made a note in Text Expander. I'm going to send Jeff a screencast about how to use Hazel. Uh, yeah, got, it's coming. Jeff, set up your email filters now. I have tried. I, I am. I, there are lots of like my my everyday software. It's Doesn't still, David live relatively close to you? He's just going to come to your house and show you. Hey, yeah, come and sort it out. I'll you, be you on guys your doorstep. Re- you guys are responsible. So it, it's um, it's funny listening to being on the podcast because I'm so used to listening to you guys in the car. I just want to sit back and listen to what you got to say. Like I just I'm sort of dropping into that mode. But I've um, you guys have sold me on so many different things over the year that I use day in day out. Now I'd say that um, you've you've dramatically accelerated my day. With uh, with a variety of different apps, keyboard maestro I use I use religiously, uh, text expander I use religiously every day. Um, you sold me on both of those, I think. Uh, Katie, you sold me on the on the Tom Bin organization stuff, and I use yeah. that uh, all the time now when I'm traveling on the road. So you know, but Hazel is one of those one of those things that you guys uh, definitely recommended to me. It's installed on all my computers. And I've definitely only – I'm only using it for a few things. Uh, I use it to keep my desktop tidy. So as a punishment to myself, if my desktop stays cluttered up for too long, Hazel cleans up the things that have been sitting there. Now, do you it, just send uh, it to the trash or do you like put no, it No, first of all, it highlights them in red so I yeah. know that it's coming. And then if I still don't react and, and tidy up like I should, it then sticks them in a, in a folder called Tidy, which yeah, has a tree structure underneath that. <laughs> I don't have the guts to just send it to the trash, but part of me so wants to. <laughs> it ends up in this tidy folder. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other thing it does is it empties my trash can recently. But yeah. uh, but when I hear about the way you use it to organize all of your receipts, you know, it's, uh, I haven't got to that level with it yet. It's crazy. They just came out with an update that will that will find a date in the document. So, like, if you have an invoice and you scan it, it will go in and find the date in the document and then it'll add that date to the name which was kind of the um one of the last things we really needed to fully automate going paperless and it's it's really exciting uh, it's exciting to me at least <laughs> oh i think it's right because i've updated all of my rules where monthly i would have to go and download all of my my statements you know my cable bill my utility bill or whatever because it would it would put in the in the name of the file whatever the particular month is that I downloaded the statement. So if I got sloppy and I didn't download, you know, June statement in July, I had to go back and manually rename it. But nope, not anymore. Now it just figures it out based on the date. So now I only have to go down like once every couple of months and download my statements. That's so you, you guys also saw me on the scan snap. I had three of those five tens. Uh, two yeah. of them I've loaned out and I've never gotten back. <laughs> yeah, that, that got, happened. Yeah, I've, I've, loaned, got, I've loaned out two scan snaps and never got them back. I've still three. Got one at, I've lost three now. I've still got one at home, which I which used to use. Um, I, I used it for scanning in. I had reams and reams of paper documents in the in the garage, and they've all got scanned in now. And I've thrown them all out. So literally binders and binders of stuff now that I don't have stored up anymore. But the thing I used to use it for most of all was um, I, I have to sign an inordinate number of things, it seems, in a week. 
And I used to use it for printing. I'd print out the signature page. I'd sign out. I'd scan it back in. And but recently, I've conver- I've pretty much converted to uh, a PDF pen, which you guys also sold me on. Yeah. And uh, and I use that on the iPad more than anything, actually. And I'll just pop the document up on there, drop my signature onto it, and then just send it back again. And that that's super simple. Yeah. Both both Katie and I do that as well. Um, I want to talk to you about stationery at some point, but that's probably not <laughs> appropriate uh, for the show. show. <laughs> uh, but the um, but you also had said that you use Vesper a lot, and Vesper is the you know the new uh, the new app from the the Dream Team. Was it's John Gruber and who else is is in on that app? Uh, well, actually, I want to talk all about his iOS workflow and what he does yeah. with iOS. So why don't while you research who did Vesper? Why don't I take a quick break? Why don't I talk about our next sponsor? You can research Vesper, and then when we come back, we can talk all about your your iOS stuff that you use. Sounds good. So um, Jeff was talking about this problem where he has with things cluttering up his his desktop, and our next sponsor actually has a solution for that. And they make a product, uniquely enough, called Unclutter. And it's made by the same folks um, that make Daisy Disk. And we talk about Daisy Disk all the time for when you need to unclutter your, your hard drive of a bunch of files that you've maybe forgotten about and you want to clear off space on your hard drive. You go to Daisy Disk. Well, but if you're finding that maybe files that you don't want to get rid of and files that you need are cluttering up places in your life and you want to have a nice, clean, organized desktop, but maybe you, you've got some files that you're working on and you want to have fast access to them, or maybe you've got some notes, that's where Unclutter comes in. And Unclutter is available in the Mac App Store. You download it. It's a lightweight app. You set it to launch at startup, and you get these three panes that you can do things with, and you can add... Uh, additional panes, or you can delete panes depending on how you want to set it up and configure for you. But it's by default, it's got a file pane, a notes pane, and a clipboard pane. So you can unclutter is very cool in that you just by default you roll up to your menu bar, and if you've got a trackpad, you pull down, or if you've got a, a trackball on your mouse, you you pull down, and it will bring down this drop down menu that's got files, notes, and clipboards. So if you've got a file that you're working on but you don't want it to clutter up your desktop. You drag it into files, and then you set in the unclutter preferences exactly where that goes. And in my case, I've got a folder on my Dropbox where all of those folders go. I guess I should probably move that folder over to my transporter now that um, that's got almost Dropbox-like sync, or really Dropbox-like sync. But but anyway, I put that folder somewhere where it syncs so I can have access to it on all my Macs, so I've got the same working environment on all my Macs. And then I've got a notes pane. So if I've got a quick note or if I need to look up something or need to type something to remind myself, I type notes in there. So a prime example of that is I've got running for this episode, instead of having a a pad of paper in front of me, which I normally do, I've got what's the sponsors of the show that we're doing for the show and are there any edit points in the show? Like Jeff sneezed at 40 minutes in and so we're going (laughs) to... We're going to tweak that out. And so I've got a a running little notepad that I can access without having a separate app open. And then lastly, I've got the clipboard. So I can always keep my clipboard contents and I can copy and paste things out of the clipboard and, and get them directly from Unclutter. And where the magic comes in, how I use Unclutter is, Jeff, I've set up a hazel rule that anything that has been on my desktop that hasn't been touched in the last, I think it's two hours is the deadline that I give myself automatically gets moved to that folder that I have synced with Unclutter. And that way, not to the trash, David, but it gets moved to my Unclutter folder. And so it's still kind of on my desktop, but it's not. And I all I have to do is pull down my menu bar and I get access to it. So I think that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I, I, I use Unclutter, actually. And I had no idea until you just told me that I could put the location into a shared folder. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's really great, you know, for full screen apps on your laptop, because you know, there's a lot of apps that give you the ability to, to put something in a temporary holding spot while you're flipping around screens. But I find Unclutter works the best for me. And like when I'm adding a post to Squarespace, if I have an image, I'll just put it up on that Unclutter um, clipboard and then I'll drop it into the Squarespace dialog to add it to a post. Yeah. So um, Unclutter is available in the Mac App Store. They're now up to version 1.2.1. So they've added some additional features where you can, like I said, customize that that file location and put it wherever you want. Um, and it's it's only $4.99. So it's an app that I find myself using if not every day, definitely multiple, multiple times a week. So uh, you can check them out. And uh, thanks to Unclutter for sponsoring Mac Power users. All right. So let's talk iOS. All right. Um, so uh, so you mentioned Vespa. Yeah. That's it's John Gruber, a- Brent Simmons, and Dave Whiskus. Sorry, guys. But yeah, it's like the, uh, you know, they formed this Q branch and they came out with this app and it, one of the things, you know, it's, it's controversial in some respects because it doesn't sync. It doesn't have multiple apps, doesn't use iCloud. You know, it, it's just a little note-taking app. Yeah, but it's so, so beautiful. The, yeah. um, the, the thing it's replaced for me is I used to have uh, a field notes notebook that I would carry with me in my pocket. Yeah. And I'd use it just for jotting down notes quickly. And Vesper has pretty much replaced that the role that that has. So I take notes, I put them in Vespa, and then I have an omni-focus um, uh, action that pops up on a repeating basis, which is collect notes from notebook. Mm-hmm. So just earlier today, I popped, uh, you know, I used to pop open my, my paper notebook. Now I popped open Vespa, and I translated the stuff that was in it into the remaining actions that I needed to feed back in omni-focus. So for me, that's just, that's taken the place of um, of that paper notebook now, and I'm using it. It, it is, and it is a gorgeous app. Yeah, you they, can tell they, they really sweat the details on that. Yeah, they totally did. It's phenomenal. Um, so, what else? What else do I use on my uh, on my iPhone on a day to day basis? I um, obviously use the Mail app pretty much continuously during the day. If I get uh, get stuck for a few minutes, I use Instapaper. Um, I use that to keep anything temporary. That um, so I use Pinbook for a Pinboard rather for things that I want to keep permanently. And I use yeah. this paper things that I just want to store until I have the chance to read them. Um, obviously, the transporter app. Uh, I'm bound to say that, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that's I, I, I literally use it day in day out. I use it um, now for getting photos and videos off my phone. Um, uh, that's one of the things I do almost every day with it to stop them sort of accumulating. Um, so I use it for that. I use my phone every day um, on the way into work. I listen to podcasts. Um, I start, always start with the Wall Street Journal podcast to get the latest tech news. And then after that, I'll treat myself to, uh, to one of the other podcasts I listen to. And I listen to them using Downcast, um, which is, uh, uh, I think Marco Armand talked, uh, again, I'm a big fan of his, listened to his podcast. And I think yeah. he mentioned, uh, mentioned that he liked it best. And so I got it and I've been using that. Oh, oh like, I have, I have a confession. Can I, uh-huh. can I throw this in here? Sure. Um, David, I got an armband for my iPhone at the gym, and I am now using Downcast exclusively. I am All no right. longer the only podcast I'm syncing through iTunes is ours, and that's because I have a Hazel rule set to back up that MP3 file when it comes down. So, <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
And they've, they've, just, they've just been bugging me about that for a long time. It's, it's been an ongoing thing on this show. Well, I'm, I'm kind of sad that you fixed the problem because now I can't teach you about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, problem fixed. Yeah. Um, and on the way home, I, I use Audible. That's my treat in the evening. I'll, um, I'll fire up an audio book. Typically that's, not. A- that's so funny, Jeff. I'm the same as you. I, I cannot. In the mornings, I listen to podcasts or news. On the way home, I just need some fiction. Yeah, exactly. Although right now I'm listening to the Gettysburg, the new Gettysburg book, so I'm learning a little bit about uh, as a as a as an American, a new American citizen. I'm learning about uh, about our past heritage. Yeah, nice. I am. I just I just downloaded the new Timurair book, by the way, which is really good. It's Dragons in the Napoleonic Wars combined. What? Oh, that's, yes. that's that's awesome. <laughs> it is. I'll send you a link. All right. <laughs> it's like book seven. I, I've been hooked on this for years. But uh, I'll have to. I'll have to check that out. My last. Yeah. Uh, my last fiction book was Joe Golem and the Drowning City, um, which was recommended to me by a friend of mine who's actually um, uh, she's a, a top selling uh, fantasy author, and uh, and she recommended it. And uh, it's by Mike Minola, I think, who wrote the uh, Hellboy comics. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a great book too. Well, I, I have to stop talking about books or Katie's going to come in very politely. Put us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you use your iPhone um, at all or your, your iPad for, for any of this development work and things you do other than just kind of correspondence back and forth and, and managing your own stuff or. Oh yeah. It- yeah. I, I uh, the iPhone is probably the thing I use most during the day. Um, I tend to find I'm traveling on the road or I'm in meetings or I'm traveling in a, you know, I'm traveling in a car, um, uh, when I'm not driving and, and then the iPhone becomes my principal tool. So I'll definitely rattle off emails and, um, review things. Uh, we had, uh, some copy that was going out the weekend and, and I, uh, it was, uh, it was it was our anniversary. My wife popped to the bathroom, and I popped out the phone, <laughs> reviewed the copy quickly while uh, while I was sitting there again on the iPhone, and then uh, and then approved it. So, yeah, the iPhone for me is uh, is is a great tool. I use it all the time. Uh, I read on it, um, you know, if I have a few minutes, as well as working on it. So, it's a huge tool. I read RSS on it all the time, and sort of try and keep up with news that way. Um, and most recently, I got, um, uh, as part of coming back to Drobo, I was introduced to Plex, which I hadn't really used before. You know, uh, I just I just downloaded that, and it'll probably be too late for our listeners, but Don McAllister, well, Don McAllister did a screencast online on it recently, um, and their iOS app just was on sale. I don't know if it will still be by the time this show comes out, but... It, it's really great. Like I was... Tell, I was, tell me about Plex, because everybody says I need to use Plex, because I've got all this this media on my Drobo, but mine actually connects to my iTunes library. Are the two mutually exclusive? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, I, uh, I had all of my media in iTunes too. So I'd, uh, I'd spent ages getting it all in and using it. And I have Apple TVs through the house. Um, uh, but Plex comes pre-installed on a number of devices, including the Drobo 5N. So when I got it home, I wanted to try it. And I've just been... So my my experience with with iTunes, I think, has been a little, possibly a little worse than than some of the people I speak to, and that I have trouble just keeping it running. I'm not yeah. sure if it's because I have so many it's files. It's not just you. Okay, 
And so, you know, my wife and my kids are constantly like, oh, it's not working again, right? They can't, the server's gone offline and all, I'll just have to restart the iTunes program. But because that server's in the garage, it means I have to go out there and, and kill oh, it I, off. I and- actually set up an automator action that will restart iTunes on my Mac mini server two or three times a day. To oh, try that's to smart. Avoid you, you that. Need to- you yep. need to explain to me how to do that. Okay. So uh, I, I got to do that because I did try something with like yeah, an it's, it's, or something. I it's make just it an automator action. T- or you could do it with Keyboard Maestro too because this was before I started heavily using Keyboard Maestro. But it's an automator action tied to an iCal alarm. Okay, so that's it, smart. It happens a couple yeah. times a day. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. It's so, amazing. So- it's just amazing for how important iTunes is to Apple, how much work it needs. Yeah, it it really does. And so I thought I would try Plex um, as an alternative, and I expected that it'd be kind of limited. But in fact, it, it's it's so open. I suppose you know I can just open up the folder on the Drobo and just dump in you know you know video files or audio files, and they just get immediately cataloged um, uh, without me having to do anything else. So you literally just add files to a folder, and they get detected and then added. Uh, which is something iTunes doesn't do currently. Um, but then the the part of it I really thought I was going to miss out on was, you know, the cloud part of it, the ability to stream my music um, using iTunes or, uh, or you know, stream video. Um, but the Plex app really does a great job of it. Like I was just, given the relative sizes of the companies and, and sort of how, how small the Plex team is, I was really pleasantly surprised at how great it is. You know, I've been able to stream video on the Plex app when I've been out on the road. I'm able to stream music to the Plex app on my phone when I'm driving. And it's just been working great, even over LTE. So um, so I'm, I'm really having a great experience with it. And it's just that little bit more open, which I'm enjoying too. Okay, so basically, and I haven't had a chance to set this up yet, but you've got Plex running on the 5N. And you just have all of your media in a folder, and then you've got Plex. You just say, Plex, this is the folder that all my stuff is in. And then it streams to the various apps, whether it be iOS apps or, I mean, there's not an Apple TV app, but there's a, I think there's a Roku app for Plex. And there's a Plex hack for Apple TV, although I don't know how long that's going to stay around. Yeah, it's Pl- uh, Plex Connect, it's called. Um, uh, I actually, uh, in one of my uh, in one of my more hackish moments, got it running on the Drobo as well, so I could, because um, because again, my family really, really prefer the Apple TV over. We got a Roku as well, uh, which does have a native Plex app in it. But but my my family and kids just just always gravitate to the Apple TV because the interface is so nice. So I did set up Plex Connect, which works great. It sort of hijacks the um, the trailers icon on the Apple TV, and then when you click on it, it's just the Plex menus, and you can you can view anything. But I I, I went out for. Um, for lunch with the founder and CEO of Plex uh, last week, and they told me that um, that the latest, the next version of the Apple TV firmware breaks it. So, uh, so that's not long for this world, I'm afraid. Oh. That's too bad. Yeah, it's a real shame because it, it's really great. Oh well. Well, maybe maybe somebody else will unbreak it. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> It, so, it is, a, you know, it's a growing problem with all this media. I mean, seven terabytes of media is not easy for any software to manage, but it's becoming a big deal. I know in my house that we use our Apple TV more than our cable box. And yeah, I'm, I'm that, getting there. Yeah. Well, it's largely due to Netflix, frankly. But, the, um, but you know, we've just got to the point where that's what we use. I mean, we have our stereo through the Apple. You know, we have one optical uh, input from 
our TV's old, you know, it's only got one optical input. So we use the one from the Apple TV because that's the thing that we really watch the stuff that's important to us on. Yeah, we definitely live in the Apple TV more than anything else. You know, we buy TV seasons on it. We use Netflix. All, all, all the kids' shows are on Netflix these days. Um, my wife generally just watches, you know, seasons of shows that are on Netflix. So I think we're getting close to, to not needing the cable anymore. Well, what about the meat and potato stuff like spreadsheets and documents? And, um, you know, do you use the iWork or do you use, you know, Office or Google Docs? How do you get that stuff done? Uh, I tend to use iWork, um, or, well, actually I, I'm, I mostly do this, this again is, is partially due to your, uh, your good influence, but I mostly just use text files these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have everything in, in NVOlt. Um, yeah, such a great app. Yeah, it is. And I know it's kind of, kind of cliche. I know, I know lots of uh, folks you've had on use it, but I absolutely use it. It's my default notebook. So if I'm working on anything or somebody sends me instructions or I got links I want to go after, I just cut and paste everything into, uh, into NVAlt and then I have it synced with apps on my iPad and iPhone. And, um, I, and I was dealing with a guy in my day job and, and we were working together routinely for a couple of weeks on a big project. And I was using MVL repeatedly while he was looking over my shoulder. And at the end of the project, he said, you know, is there something like that for the PC? And I said, I don't know. I said, I honestly don't know. I said, I would search it. And he came back to me a few weeks later and said, you know, which Mac do I buy? He's buying a Mac for MVL. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. I, I, yeah. I, I honestly don't know how I would, uh, how I would live without it, and um, and whilst they uh, they say very clearly that you shouldn't use it, you shouldn't sync it across Macs. Uh, I absolutely do that, and it, uh, so far I haven't had a problem. So it's uh, it's there and available on all my different systems. So uh, that's that's working really really well for me, and I don't know what I'd do without it. If I get past documents in the company, if it's something from finance, it will be an Excel format, and I typically find I have to open it in Excel for it to work correctly. Um, so I'll sort of open up, uh, you know, Excel uh, from the office suite there. But but other than that, I rarely use very much else. Um, most of the docs I get passed internally will be in um, PDF format um, because we're we're a cross platform company. Uh, most everybody just just prints to PDF these days, and documents get exchanged in PDF format. Um, some if the lawyers send me anything, that will always be in Word format, and so I'll always have to go back to yep. Microsoft Word for that. Those guys ruin everything. Really <laughs> That's right. No, they're fine, hey, fine fellows. Hey, Jeff, I want to talk about some of your uh, utilities as well. But before I do so, let's talk about our last sponsor today, and that's OmniGraffle from the Omni Group. And we've talked a little bit about OmniFocus, but I'd, I'd like to talk about OmniGraffle, which is the Omni Group's diagramming app. And it's just such a fantastic app for a couple of reasons. The first is usability, because I'm not an expert at using graphics applications, but I do have frequent need to create diagrams and other, you know, attractive looking images. And I don't want to spend weeks and weeks learning how to use a very expensive program. I want to just get in there and make a diagram. And that's where OmniGraffle's genius shows through, because you don't have to be an expert at it. It, it makes it very simple. They have nice little tutorials. In fact, they have videos on their website now that'll show you how to do a lot of this stuff. And the other great thing about it is the final product looks truly beautiful. I mean, if you want to make a diagram 
and you want to have arrows that line up perfectly on the image. And if you want to adjust a box and have the arrow follow it, it does it. If you want to have nice color schemes, they're built in. You know, it takes a lot of the the hard work out of creating these diagrams. And I've talked about in the show before how people always mistake my diagrams as something professionally made. And the reason I keep saying it is because it just keeps happening to me. I'm always making diagrams and people are always asking me who does them. They don't believe that I do it because I'm using OmniGraffle. So you should check out OmniGraffle. They've got a version for the Mac and the iPad, and they're both designed for the platform they're on. So the iPad one uses a lot of interesting gestures and ways to build these things with your fingers, whereas the Mac version uses mouse gestures and keyboard shortcuts. Um, If you spend a little bit of time with it, you'll get very efficient at it. And I find that I can be sitting there talking to someone and build a diagram while we're talking And then I'll show it to them because I think it's just the way I'm wired, but I I need a picture sometimes to really put the pieces together. And it's a great way to confirm with somebody that you're both understanding something or a relationship the same way. And when you show them a diagram, it's right in front of their face. And for a lot of people I work with in the day job and the Max Sparky job, that's exactly what we need to make sure we're all on the same page. So check out OmniGraffle for the Mac and the iPad. You can get it uh, for the Mac. There's a, Basic version for $100 is a professional version for $200. And you can get it on the iPad as well. They have the 30-day money-back guarantee on all their products at the Omni Group. So if you're afraid about buying something you know this expensive, go ahead and try it. And if you don't like it, tell them about it, and they'll give you a refund. That, that even includes iOS apps. Um, OmniGraffle is something I use every week, and uh, I don't know what I'd do without it. If you have an interest in making great diagrams, go check it out and let them know you heard about it from us. I think uh, OmniGraffle was the the software that made me fall in love with the Mac. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, I believe I, that. Yeah. When I switched over from the PC, I was a big Visio user. If you remember yeah. that on the on the PC, sure. And is... and OmniGraffle was the first you know native application that I brought. I think. And I started using it, and I, it was just so great. <laughs> and I've used it ever since. I use it for pretty much any diagram that I'm putting together. In fact, and, if you look at the Transporter iOS app, the save dialog was created in OmniGraffle. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe that. I mean, they they really sweat it, those, those people at the Omni group. I mean, they really are passionate about making something that is both beautiful and easy to use, and it shows. Yeah. It's, uh, this it's is really another great. one. This is another one. I just don't think there is a similar app on on the PC, and I uh, the, it's just it's just too pretty. <laughs> Are you laughing at me, Katie? I am. I just have yeah. mute on, so you can't hear me laughing at yeah. you. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Like earlier when she said "Yeah, yeah, yeah," I just imagine her there waving her hand while she's mm-hmm. doing it. Were you waving your hand? Yes, I was waving my hand. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Jeff, what are the little apps you use that you know? that you don't think about, but make everything work. We all have a few of those. Definitely. Um, well, I've got some. Uh, I mentioned some already, like Keyboard Maestro and uh, Text Expander, which you guys covered a lot. Um, what are other things that I use? I, I use uh, Geek Tool, uh, which uh, you may or may not know. Yeah, um, so so Geek Tool is the one where you put in some code and then it, it puts stuff up on your desktop live. Yep. Uh, I got uh, some great uh, patents for that off of off of various sites over the years, and yeah, Ter- I have Brett it. Terpstra does like he goes crazy with that app. You know, I probably got them all from him. 
if I'm yeah. honest. Uh, yeah. And there's some really great ones. I use the I have the weather display and the time display right in the middle of my screen. Um, I have various pieces of information about the Mac dotted around, and then I have inspirational quotes on the top left of my screen, which uh, which refresh on an hourly basis, and I and I find I get a little boost from those during the day. So I love that, and that's always right in front of me, whether I'm at uh, home or work using either PC. I have that installed, and, and I, I do use the shared folder to sync those up. I use Codebook every single day. That's such um, a great app. Yeah, it is. The, the Contacts app, I used to be a dress book, but the Contacts app in iOS, uh, sorry, in uh, Mac OS is definitely something that could use some work. And I yeah, find it, Co- yeah it's so, and Codebook is, is a replacement for that, and it puts the Contacts app to shame. It, it really does. And it's so nicely integrated. So if I want to add a contact from mail app, you know, it pops has a little button there, you open in Cobook and I can do that and tidy it up. So I, I, I use that literally every day. Yeah, um, my, rec- my recommendation is if you're a guy who likes to work off the keyboard a lot, you have to get Cobook because it just makes it so much easier to add information to a contact. You don't have yeah, to go it, click the edit button and do all this other, you know, rigmarole. If communicating is as much of, of your life as it is of mine, you absolutely need something like that to make it work. So um, so I was really glad when that came along. Um, I use an application called Mindful. Uh, that's on all my PCs as well. Um, and it just sticks. It's a really simple little app. And it sticks a uh, today's calendar very, very prettily drawn on your desktop. And that's all it does. So in the bottom left-hand corner of my desktop on all my computers you'll see the, my daily calendar just laid out there. So like, when I've got... With, with detail that says, you know, at 6 o'clock I'm recording Mac Power users, or is it just to tell you that you have something today at 6 o'clock? Or? No, no, it's right there. It, it, okay. it has a, it has a bubbles that look just like the bubbles that you see in, uh, in iCal, and it has a series of lines for each of the times during the day, and it's a, it's a lot like the day view on the iOS calendar app. Okay. Yeah. So if you can imagine that, just stuck on your desktop all day. And so what what I find during the day is I've got a lot of people coming in with just random things they want to talk to me about. And that's great. I love to keep the door open and chat to folks. Um, but it's super easy to miss an appointment or a meeting. So I just like having it there so I can sort of glance at it and just at a glance know what I've got coming up next and how much space I've got until that happens. So that's yeah, that, that. That app's only two bucks. It's, I'm buying uh, it. It's on all of my PCs. So, yeah. uh, so, so, I, so, I, you know, it's something that I, that I use absolutely every day and, uh, and I find it super useful. Uh, another app, which, which I heard about from Marco Arman again was, uh, Solver. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> right. I, I think whole, he talked about that up on our show too. I mean, that's one of his favorites. Yeah. yeah that, that's, uh, I, if I press, uh, control command and S on any of my PCs, that pops right up. <laughs> I use that all day long rather than having to think. <laughs> I use Solver. Right. So have you heard of Calca now, the new one? C-A-L-C-A? Uh-uh. uh-uh. It's kind of, it's different from Solver. It's it, it's a Markdown-based calendar, believe it or not. There's such a thing. I'm sorry, really? a Markdown-based calculator. That's kind of scary. And uh, <laughs> it's it's really a trip. I've been using it like... um. So you can create little formulas like I just did one today. and it's You, you have know. a binary alarm clock, too, don't you? <laughs> so once again, the Squarespace code is Katie is angry. <laughs> um, so like you could set up a you could set up a formula like I did one today, you know, 
daily interest equals amount times 0.1 divided by 365. And so you set up a, a formula and then you add in the variables and then it'll calculate those for you. And everything can be, the syntax is markdown syntax, so you can make it look really pretty. It, it, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure how far I'm going to go with it yet, but I, I bought it and I've been playing with it. And it's definitely something new and interesting. It's it's a new take on cal- calculators. And they use an iCloud sync, so they've got an, a Mac app and an iOS app. So once you create something on it, it shows up everywhere. Oh, so it's very cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I don't know. There's a the, the battle's on right now on my my iPad between Solver and Calca. I'm not sure which one is going to win. <laughs> well, uh, what else have I got? The, the last, I think, the last two things that I use every day. Um, I use Deli Bar, if you know that one. Yeah, for okay for pinboard. Yeah. So that's I've got two hotkey presses for that. Um, one that brings up the search on it, and one that uh, allows me to create a new URL super quick in pinboard. And so, you know, when I stumble across something during the day that's that's useful reference for me in the future, I, I you know, I just pop that up, stick the URL in, and and it's done. So, and just you know, two or three key presses, I've captured it. It's in Pinboard, and then you can search it later just by bringing up the Deli Bar search dialog and just go looking for it. Yeah, it's it's funny how that started for Delicious. That's oh, what Deli Bar stands for. I'm pretty oh, sure it started sense. out yeah, as a right. delicious reader. And, you know, the <laughs> underlying technology has changed, but the uh, the reader app is still, you know, still Deli Bar. I like that. Yeah, it's really great. I, I yeah. you know, I don't know how I'd live without it. And then I guess finally PopClip, which I'm sure you've covered, covered an enormous amount. Um, but PopClip, you know, anytime I highlight anything, it pops right up and I click on copy. Yeah, There's that, lots of- that app has like critical mass now. It seems like almost everyone I know is using it. Except I'm I'm struggling. I'm using it, but I'm struggling with it. I'm I I don't know what to do with it. I've got you know cut, copy, and paste up there with it, and I'm like, oh, why do I do this? Why just do keyboard shortcuts? I I need to find better uses for it than just cut, copy, and paste. Yeah, well, they've got a whole so, bunch you can so, download. Now. So, what do you use it for, Jeff? Besides cut, copy, and paste? Anytime I'm using, so if I highlight something using my keyboard, so I do a Control A, or I, you know, just go to the beginning or end a line, or I do a like a line selection with the keyboard, then I always use just you know standard Command C, Command V kind of thing. Yeah, and I don't but, even think Pop Clip shows up if you select with your keyboard. Right, but, but the second I use my mouse to highlight anything and it pops up, I click on it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know how many hundred times a day I use it, but, but it's something I just use continuously. And I've got a, f- a few of the extensions installed, so I use it uh, the dictionary extension. I'll highlight a word and click on that to get to the dictionary super quick. Uh, or sometimes I'll do that through the launch bar as well. Um, so it's just one of those things that's always there. I always use it. It's... It, it, it sort of feels to me at the point now where it's almost like it should be part of the operating system because uh, it's the way things work on iOS, and I think it's a great add to Mac OS too. Yeah, I, I could definitely see this getting Sherlocked. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but as long as it stays as extensible because that's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's a nice way to... Uh... To end your utilities, <laughs> go, <laughs> right. go get pop clip. Go get pop clip. Well, you, you also talked a little bit about RSS and and the notes we had here about you're a read kit user and oh yeah, that's an, that's, a, that's another one that seems like everybody's kind of settled on now. RSS is my standard lunchtime thing. So my my wife is kind of like if I don't have a business lunch, which I do a lot of, lot of days, um, my wife will pack me a little pack lunch and I'll bring it in. I've got a little uh, a little bag she gets, like a Fred Flintstone box I bring in. Yeah. And it's got my lunch in. I'll stick it down and then I'll pop open RSS. 
and uh, and I'll sort of hack through the various RSS feeds that I subscribe to. I used to use Reader for everything, um, but uh, when Google shut down uh, Google Reader, then uh, then I had to find another solution quickly for the Mac. Um, and so I used um, is it Feed Wrangler mm-hmm. as, yeah. as a backend, uh, which which I heard about <laughs> on on a podcast, yeah. um, which has been working great. <laughs> And yeah. uh, but Reader Reader supports it on the iPhone and iPad, so I use Reader still there. But on the Mac, I don't think it does, so I uh, took to using ReadKit. Yeah, and it's pretty nice because it shows you different um, services, like you can put up your Instapaper, your Pocket, everything in one. Yeah, no, it's great. I actually have it connected to my Instapaper as well. Um, but yeah. principally, I use it as an RSS reader, and it's great. So during during lunch, I'll. Uh, I'll hack into the RSS feeds and uh, maybe look at some things that are fun in there as well as, uh, as well as focusing on some of the serious stuff. Yeah, that's what I do too. I've started, I always take my lunch into the office now and I'll sit there at my keyboard with my little lunchbox and my, my reader. <laughs> yep. That's it. And people always bug me. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't get through, you, you can't get through lunch without at least two or three people coming in, but there you go. Oh. What are you going to do? Well, Jeff, thank you so much for for coming on and for doing this. And um, you know, I, I'm just so excited to see what what new and interesting things uh, uh, you have in store for us. You and your team have in store for us in the future. Thanks. We, we we're cooking up some some cool stuff in here. So, uh, where can people find you? Do you do you tweet? Do you do any of that kind of stuff? What's the best uh, way for people to find more about you and and, and the stuff that you do? I I very rarely tweet. Um, but, uh, uh, but I do tweet. I, my handle is Jeff Barrel on uh, Twitter. So G E O F F B A R R A L L. Um, so you can find me there on, on Twitter. And, uh, other than that, uh, if you just put my name to Google, honestly, you'll get a whole bunch of, uh, of hits and, uh, and yeah. different things. So, uh, so you can, you can, you can generally find me on the internet. And I guess people can just find more about your products over at drobo.com. Yep, drobo.com uh, or filetransporter.com uh, to look at the two different product lines. And uh, and please come and check those out for sure. All right, Jeff, you and I are going to talk stationary, but I think we'll go offline now. All right, sounds good. I, don't want, I think Katie will get too angry. <laughs> Squarespace, <laughs> Katie is angry. Don't forget, to put it in. <laughs> thanks ever so much. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye. Well, thanks, well, thanks everyone for uh, sticking around with uh, with Jeff today. Uh, if you'd like to find us, we are at macpowerusers.com or 5x5.tv slash MPU. Yeah, can also- you can find links to everything that we talked about this in episode there. And you can also email us by sending an email to feedback at macpowerusers.com. Or you can find us on Twitter. We're at macpowerusers. And Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Parker. And uh, I think that will about uh, wrap us up for today. So once again, thanks to Jeff, and uh, we'll see you all next time. 